0: morning everybody welcome to bedrock on this rainy sunday um how are we doing thriving surviving one of the two um so we have been going through a series looking at what it means to follow the way of jesus uh we're trying to understand what it means to be with jesus to become like jesus and to do what jesus did and each week we're looking at a practical aspect of that that we can be working on uh, to become more like Jesus, to be disciples of the one that we follow. So last week we talked about serving, and our practice was to pray for opportunities to serve uh, and then to go and do those things. So let's spend just a little bit of time checking in with each other and discussing how that went. So turn to somebody near you. you might have to move around. We're a little uh, light today uh, and chat about how serving went this week. So today we will be looking at uh, three practices, actually, but they're all really connected. Uh, We're going to be looking at the idea of silence, solitude, and simplicity. Um, And these are practices that we as 21st century Americans have very little experience with, but I have a feeling we will shortly, uh, given what's going on in our current situation. So these are very relevant, um, but it should be encouraging that these are things that Jesus speaks on and practices in his own life as well. These things are so essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and what a great opportunity we are given uh, to be able to practice those things. So, before we dig too deep into those things, uh, I want to pray to get ourselves centered on what we're going to be thinking about today. So, uh, dear God, thank you for the time you've given us today to learn more about who you are. Um, Thank you for the example of Jesus. Uh, Help us to be uh, excited about following him and to pursue those things deeply. Um, Pray that the words that are spoken today, that your words are the ones that will be remembered, um, that will stick with people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, So as we start to think of this idea of silence and solitude, as you start reading scripture and looking at how Jesus actually lived, you'll notice that Jesus often retreated to desolate places. There's this value placed on separating from the rest of society. In fact, every time there's a major miracle or a moment in the Gospels, if we looked back, we would see that before that moment, Jesus had spent time in solitude. So, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive. Here are some examples, because I think the scripture is really powerful that shows us this idea. So, I'm going to put them up here, and we're going to read through these. Luke, chapter 4, verse 1, says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He separates himself. And what happens after this is when Jesus begins his ministry, is when he actually starts going and doing uh, works and preaching about who he is. And Continuing in Luke uh, 4, verse 42, And then, it was, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving that. And what happens next after this is that Peter catches that boatload of fish um, because of his interaction with Jesus the next chapter in Luke 5, verses 15 to 16, says, But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to him, and to be healed of their infirmity, infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And what happens after this is the story in Capernaum, where the man, paralyzed man is brought through the roof when Jesus is preaching. And Luke chapter 6, verse 12, And these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, secluding himself. And what happens right after this is when he chooses the 12 disciples. I know I'm going fast. That's why we have the Bible app, so you can refer back. Luke, chapter 8, verse 22 to 23. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Not only do you get separating, but also uh, silence, because Jesus is asleep. And what happens next is he calms the storm, after that moment in Luke chapter 9 verse 10 on their return the apostles told him all that they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida and after this it's the feeding of the 5,000 that happens at that point Luke chapter 9 verses 18 eight verses down now it happened as he was praying alone the disciples were with him and he asked them who do the crowd say that I am and this is the first example of him predicting his death on the path to the cross Luke chapter 11, verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and it happens this is the Lord's Prayer, the example of how to pray that is so often quoted. Luke 22, verse 41, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, and this is at the Garden of Gethsemane, on the path to the cross itself. All these things we see that this idea of separating and putting yourself in a position of silence and solitude that Jesus gave us that example over and over and over again. And so often we ignore that part of the story. But I want to spend some time focusing on one specific example because I think it really highlights uh, the value of silence and solitude. And that's this moment that's often called the transfiguration. This story takes place in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 28 through there, through 33 or 34. Okay, so if you want to be flipping there, that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time is in Luke chapter 9. It'll be on the screen as well. So, the story begins where Jesus has gone away, separated himself with three of his disciples. It says in verse 28, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So they go off to pray, right? And these three disciples that are with him fall asleep, which seems to be a trend for these disciples in these moments of silence and solitude. And I think we can relate to that a lot. Uh, but then they wake up and they see Jesus glowing white and two people... Beside him, and there's a lot of theological things we could pull from the transfiguration, um, but I want to highlight one specific aspect of the context of what they were doing when this moment takes place. Right, they were in silence and solitude, and then they see Elijah and Moses. And there are key moments in those two people's lives that really highlight that concept of the value of silence and solitude. So, kind of follow me as I as we go on this bunny trail, and it'll wrap around back together. Okay. So, first of all, the story of Elijah. We learned about Elijah earlier uh, last year when we were going through that series of peaks and valleys. and We saw one moment in the life of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah has become really depressed that he's been uh, in this world of people that are against God uh, and has become overwhelmed by that and he is being hunted for it and he goes away into solitude. And that's when God shows up. So in 1 Kings 19, verse 11 to 13, it says, And God said, Go out and stand at the mount before the Lord. And behold, behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper." And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? See, Elijah experienced God first in solitude, but also in silence. Not in the noise of the world, but in that moment of a low whisper. And then we think of the other guy, of Moses' encounters with God. In the desert, he's off tending sheep in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around in solitude. And that's when he experiences God in a burning bush. He's alone, and God whispers to him about his plan. And then with that moment at the Red Sea, when all the chaos of the world is crowding around him, everyone else is panicking about the Egyptians. And God says to Moses in Exodus 14, 14, The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. God continues to speak with Moses, even as they wandered through the wilderness, but only in times of solitude. We see in Exodus 33, 7, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So these ideas of silence and solitude are so important to these two men's lives that are standing next to Jesus in this moment, when they themselves are in a time of silence and solitude. And Peter's reaction at this point shows just how much we miss the point of being quiet so we can experience God's presence. His reaction is so much like our own. In Luke 9, 33, it says, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Peter says, Let's get busy and build a building so that everybody can experience this here. Uh, But God intervenes. Verse 34, And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And what happens next? Verse 36, When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And what was their reaction? And they kept silent, and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. See, the value of silence and solitude is not silence and solitude of itself. Is that God desires intimacy, with his children. And Jesus understood this and gives us so many examples to look at of how to be close to God. I think we've missed that picture that it's through silence and solitude that God shows up. So let's pause here and think about this a little bit and process it with some people around us. So why do you think Jesus valued this practice so highly? And what do you gain from this time of silence and solitude? Chat for a couple minutes with some people around you. Um, So... Let's start breaking down this concept. We see the value of it, that Jesus said is doing it. He's giving us lots of examples. So let's figure out what this looks like. Um, I think there's this myth that silence and solitude is about doing nothing, which is almost impossible to do. Um, what really it's about is waiting. And I think we associate waiting with doing nothing. But really what waiting is, is offering your time as a sacrifice to God. Um, your time and, not, and your thought life as well, for God to do with what he wills. And then this is hard for us. There's a lot of reasons why we don't like to do it. Um, one of those things, that, uh, Some of these things that we don't like about signs and solitude is that it can be scary and uncomfortable to be sitting in silence. Um, as a teacher, there's this, there's this thing they teach us as a teacher, um, the idea of wait time, that 10 seconds is usually how long it takes for people to process things. And 10 seconds doesn't seem like it would feel like a lot, but it is um, when you're waiting for someone to respond. And we just don't want to embrace even just 10 seconds of silence um, because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It also can be scary in the sense of like being alone at your house at night. Uh, My wife hates that. She'll call me uh, just to have someone to talk to, to feel like there's someone else around. Um, The other reason we often don't like silence and solitude is that it can seem boring. We are so addicted to entertainment and so busy all the time that it feels like a waste of time. I know I've heard, heard that one as people are kind of talking about this. Um, but just like fasting costs us something, that practice of fasting we talked about costs us feeling hungry, silence and solitude can cost us boredom. Um, and that is why it is a sacrifice. It's part of this discipline we are working toward, to be, to be like Jesus. We often, too, associate silence and solitude with this idea of punishment. As kids, we are put in time out and separated from everyone, or we're told to stay quiet. So we have built up this negative connotation with this idea of silence and solitude together. Some people would even say that it seems anti-Christian, that it seems very mystical, and like we're just meditating and waiting for powers to come down, and it feels anti-gospel, which we see is not the case based on the life of Jesus. Uh, It also has this very, like, Puritan idea of, like, if you're by yourself, that's when the devil can come in and take over and, you know, very uh, Scarlet Letter feel to it. Like, we have to always be doing stuff with people all the time or else we're going to fall into sin. And I, but I think the real reason that we don't like silence and solitude is that it forces us to confront the hardest relationship that we have, and that's with ourselves, that we don't want to spend the time t- thinking about who we really are and just talking um, out loud. It's the same reason we don't like accountability, is that we have to reflect on who we really are. And this time of silence of solitude is this idea of accountability with God. Silence reminds us of our mortality and that everything will end eventually. And this is part of why monks seem so wise and don't care about earthly things. When you get to the point of realizing um, that everything uh, ends eventually Uh, you don't need things and it leads to simplicity so we're going to focus in on silence and solitude but i want us to be in that mind that it's going to lead to this practice of simplicity once we start to get into the flow of spending time in silence and solitude so why should we desire this time of silence and solitude from a purely human standpoint uh, we were talking about this earlier with uh, entertainment slowly canceling and closing down you reach a point of no distractions, uh, and boredom begets creativity. So from a purely human standpoint, the greatest ideas happen when people are in a quiet place by themselves with no distractions. I was looking up quotes to kind of get some ideas or things to add um, for this sermon, and it was incredible to see how many famous people have quotes about the value of spending time away from other people uh, to refocus and think. Um, People like Edison and Tesla, Thoreau, Emerson, Picasso, Cicero, Byron, Shelley, Archimedes, Buddha, Muhammad, Nietzsche, Einstein, and Shakespeare all valued the idea of being away from people, um, that it helps us clear our minds to be able to think. So what are these people getting that we as Christians have dismissed as unimportant, that they see the value in shutting out the world so you can know who you really are? And for Christ followers, it's even more important that we spend time in silence and solitude. When we think about the early church, how did these Christians have such confidence at who they were as followers of Jesus? It's because they knew who he was personally. And we have to ask ourselves, are we only experiencing other people's relationship with God, or do we actually know him intimately as well? I like this quote, um, by a guy named John Eudes Bamberger, uh, who was a monk who lived in a monastery in upstate New York, uh, about why solitude is so important to the Christian life. He said, when you are faithful in silent meditation, you will slowly experience yourself in a deeper way. Because in this useless hour in which you do nothing important or urgent, you have to come to terms with your basic powerlessness. You have to feel your fundamental inability to solve your or other people's problems or to change the world. When you do not avoid that experience but live through it, you'll find out that your many projects, plans, and obligations becomes less urgent, crucial, and important, and they lose their power over you. We realize that we are not in control and the way we think we are. As theologians often say, we come to the end of ourselves and where God begins. The psalmist writes in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. When you are silent, you realize that you are powerless, and you can actually give everything to God. And he gets all the glory from that. Uh, The author of a book uh, that I've been looking through as preparing for this, a book called Running on Empty, uh, the author Phil Anderson says, Silence is a means to an end. Intimacy is what, with God is what we desire. Right? That's the goal. It can't just be to be silent for the sake of not being with people. The goal is intimacy with God. And I think that will undo a lot of those misconceptions we have about silence and solitude. It's not just to be away from people. It's to be closer to God. And so thinking about these things, we have to ask ourselves, what have we given up as the church in becoming so much like the world in our busyness and our lack of silence? Are we too focused on getting busy for God that we've missed the importance of being centered in the Spirit first? So I want to take some time to kind of process this and think about our own reasons personally. Why do you personally find it difficult to spend time in silence and solitude, and what could you do to ever overcome those difficulties? So take a couple minutes, chat with some people. You Let's get into a little bit more of the practicals of when— to choose silence and solitude. Uh, when those things make sense, we were just talking about, and I said, I realized personally this week that in the morning is not great for me because I fall asleep every time. So uh, <laughs> figuring out when that will work. Um, but here's some practical suggestions. So first of all, I thought it was an interesting point um, that part. the reason we're doing this again is not just for the sake of silence and solitude, the idea of getting intimate with God, that we need to provide space for God to work Uh, in how we, in ourselves, and how we interact with ourselves. Um, Heard it described also as like plugging into the source, um, that you need time plugged into the source before you can go out and, uh, you know, have the energy uh, and spread the word to other people as well with these other disciplines we have been looking at. Um, And that's really what this is, is providing a space to be with God. Again, Phil Anderson from the book Running on Empty My responsibility is providing space for solitude and silence so that God may attend the needs of my soul. I'm just the innkeeper making room for the guest. So our job is just to make ourselves available. So we're going to go through some suggestions of when spending time in silence and solitude would be most beneficial. Um, And as we've said in previous weeks, these things are wisdom and not requirements. All these things are to make us better disciples, but it's not dependent on your salvation. So here are a couple ideas of when silence and solitude might be good based on scriptural evidence. So number one is when you're preparing for a major task. We even see uh, that in Genesis, God is in silence before creation begins. uh, And that he speaks, and that's when everything starts. Uh, Probably a more practical uh, step for us, we see that Paul spends time in solitude in Arabia before beginning his ministry after his conversion. In Galatians chapter 1, he says... uh, In verse fourteen, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his Son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him 15 days. So Paul completely separates himself before beginning this major task of spreading the gospel to Gentiles. We also see Jesus spent time in preparation before going into ministry. We read that earlier in Luke chapter 4, right, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted or tested by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. When they were ended, he was hungry. So right here, he goes through a period of silence and solitude before beginning his ministry. Right? We also see the opposite truth throughout the New Testament as well. That when the disciples could not do something, Jesus' response to them was that they weren't connected with God. That like only these demons can be put out by prayer. And that they're not spending time in that solitude. The second uh, time that's good to spend time in solid, silence of solitude is to recharge after work. After being deep in the ministry and with people, that we need time to reconnect to plug into the source, who God is. Mark six thirty one through thirty two, Jesus said to them, "Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat." And they went away into a boat to a desolate place by themselves. All right? Jesus sees the value of recharging. Or continuing the ministry three we see that jesus spent time in solitude and silence while working through grief after the death of john the baptist when his cousin has died jesus withdraws from the crowd in matthew chapter 14 verse 13 when jesus heard this he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself and when the crowds heard it they followed him on foot through the towns right but this is after the death of john the baptist so he's retreating to be able to process in times of grief also just in general times of distress Jesus spends time in silence and solitude on the path to the cross he prays fervently uh the night at Gethsemane uh before going to the cross where he is secluded and separated from everything else and we see that in Matthew 26 verses 36 to 37 uh before making an important decision it would be a good idea to be in silence and solitude to pray through those things um we see before Jesus calls his disciples in Luke chapter 6, that he spends all night praying in solitude on a mountain, and then he calls his disciples together when making a decision about who his disciples are going to be. And then finally, to be able to focus on prayer, Matthew 14, 23, uh, it says, After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. It, if we want to improve our prayer lives, I think being in silence and solitude is a great way to do that. So gave you a whole list of things, of times, uh, I want us to think about that and process that in our own lives as well. So think of a time in your life described by one of the moments we just mentioned, there will be a slide that will have them on there, um, and how could spending time in silence and solitude have changed your perspective or even the outcome of that moment? So either positive where you were in silence and solitude or where you were not and how that could have influenced or impacted that event. So talked about process time. Take like a couple minutes to process, think about it, and then talk with your group. All right? Okay. What I want to do, though, is tie this together to our third principle that we're looking at, the idea of simplicity. So when we spend time in silence and solitude, we begin to understand that everything is God's, and that should alter our perspective on what is filling up space in our lives. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, There's a really interesting study that Harvard did in 2014 that analyzed a socio-psychological principle called the endowment effect. The basic idea is that when you give someone something, that there is a mental transfer that this thing is now mine and no longer the persons that handed it to me. The endowment effect, this idea of ownership, takes place psychologically uh, between people. Uh, And then if you try and take it back, there's a lot of resistance to that. I mean, anybody with kids would understand that, right? If you hand them something, it is now mine. And if you want it back, there's going to be a problem. Uh, The fascinating thing about this study is they did it a couple places, and what they found is when they went to these uh, secluded hunter-gatherer societies in Africa, with limited contact to the modern world, they displayed almost no evidence of the endowment effect, Uh, that they would hand them food and objects that would be seen to be valuable to them, and they would immediately give it away to somebody else in their village. And so there's this idea that comes about that when people have less, they actually share more. Uh, And so it, it shows this idea that simplicity is so important that if we want to be disciples of Jesus and we want to serve like we talked about last week, we need to live simply, that it allows us to serve others better when we have less to go around. It makes me think of uh, a line from the movie The Prince of Egypt when Jethro uh, brings Moses in and he's amazed at their generosity, and there's a line in one of the songs where Jethro says to Moses, when all you've got is nothing, there's a lot to go around. (laughs) 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul uh, tells Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. And Jesus teaches his followers the same idea. We looked at this in previous weeks, thinking about stewardship. In Luke chapter 16, When Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We need to consider what things are taking up space in our lives and ask if we really need them in order to better give ourselves to Jesus. There's, of course, a balance between good stewardship with your time and your money, but we really need to ask how much do we really need and how much is getting in the way. How much could we actually give away instead of hold on to and say, this is mine? Jesus calls us to be willing to give it all for him. How much are you putting on the table to give away? In Matthew 8, Jesus tells his disciples, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You don't have things holding you back from giving to the kingdom. An important part of this discipline is also evaluating if we need to simplify our minds or what we give our thoughts to as well as our money to. One of the primary teachings of Jesus was how following God is simple, but the laws of man have overcomplicated it. We've added more mental baggage to following Jesus than we need to. When asked about what was the greatest commandment, Jesus simplified it and said in Matthew 22, 37-40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All that other stuff can be summed up very simply if you just do these things. And so, do we clutter our brains with things that don't matter? Are we focused on all the minors instead of the major things? Have we bought in to... Too many of the things that the world is selling us that we need to give our brain power to, to stressing about things. we also have to ask, I thought about this this week, why can we remember so many commercials and so few Bible verses? Mm -hmm. Do we give our minds to worry, works, or to the Word? And so, putting this all together, I was really excited to look at this because I think those things all fit together within themselves, But also within the greater picture of all the disciplines we have been looking at to be more like Jesus. On our Sabbath day, we should spend time in silence and solitude. And when we're in silence and solitude, we'll be better able to focus on scripture and prayer. Our prayer life becomes more about Jesus and others when we don't have the clutter of life dragging us down, when we're worried about all those other things. Fasting also becomes easier. When we are by ourselves and not out to eat with other people and living simply, uh, we become better stewards of our time when we're able to center ourselves in with quiet with God. And we become wiser with money when we have less stuff to spend money on. So, I want to practice this idea together for a little bit um, to help us begin this step of practicing this week. So, we're going to spend some time in silence. Can't really do solitude, but we're going to do silence. Um, and kind of practice that together. I was gonna say you could spread out if you want, but I think more people filled in when we we were started. Uh, So we're gonna spend time in silence for a little bit. Um, And I think the first step of that is to think about what a minute of silence feels like. Um, Because I think we sell ourselves short. If we were to guess how long a minute would be, it'd be like 10 seconds, because we think 10 seconds takes forever. So, sorry for people listening online, but here we go. We're gonna spend time in silence. So just embrace the silence for one minute. You can close your eyes if that helps you to not be distracted, but I'm going to time us for a minute just to feel what a minute of silence starts. So that was a minute okay yeah. okay i feel like if you can make it past like the 10 seconds you're like all right I'm, i can do the rest of this <laughs> the first 10 seconds is the most awkward but that's so i think part of when we go in times of silence and solitude is to set a timer because we will sell ourselves short and cut it off if we don't do that okay we are really bad at regulating time internally um so if we're going into these practices i would actually set a timer i think it is helpful um The other part that often is difficult in being times of silence and solitude is the distraction. And so what I want us to try to do next, is we're going to do another minute of silence, and I want us to embrace the distraction. So what I mean by that is, instead of fighting it, I want you to jot down, if you have some paper and pencil or if you just want to make a note of it, um, is write down everything you hear in that moment of silence. Okay? So everything you're hearing, you're not talking, If you hear, like, people squeaking, if you hear noise outside, if you hear, you know, crayons scribbling, whatever you hear, just embrace the distraction uh, as we sit in silence, okay? So for the next minute, we're embracing the distraction, writing down everything you hear um, or that comes to mind even. You can embrace those distractions as well, all right? Here we go, another minute of silence. That is a minute. Uh, I think that it's helpful just to embrace it sometimes uh, and to say these are all the things that are distracting me. We do a protocol at school called the parking lot, which is we give kids a sticky note on their desks. Anything that they're distracted by just to write it down. Like this this morning, I'm thinking about the fact my brother yelled at me. And then get it out of your head. It's on a sticky note. There it is. You don't have to think about it anymore. Uh, sometimes that's helpful, too, is just to get it out of the way so it's over here. I Like the things that pop up, oh, I need to get milk this morning. Write it down so you can get back to focusing on, on what you're doing. Um, the other thing that I've found helpful uh, in this time of silence is to help clear out some of those distracting thoughts, is to focus on breathing. Uh, this has become really popular, especially as mindfulness becomes a big buzzword uh, in our world today. But it still is a principle that holds true, uh, and I think is helpful as we try to use this time to focus on who God is and who he's making us to be. So... Uh, We're going to do another minute, and this time what I want us to do is to focus on breathing. So as you breathe in and breathe out, focus on that instead of the distracting thoughts that are getting in the way. If that is becoming difficult, the other thing that would be helpful instead of embracing those distractions is as you breathe out, pick a name of God to mentally uh, say to yourself. Um, So like, you know, he is our fortress, or he is a rock, he's the bread of life. Uh, Something that you can focus in on. That is not the distractions that are coming in. So either focus on the breath or focus on a name of God that you repeat every time you breathe out. That will help us focus in a little more. Okay? So we're going to do another minute of silence doing that. Go. So now that we've kind of set the groundwork of feeling what silence is, embracing distraction, clearing out distraction, now we're going to kind of do what would be most beneficial with silence and solitude, which is spending time with God and building that intimacy. So we're going to, I picked a verse for us. You can pick whatever verse you like. Um, but I want us just to read over it again, slowly, over and over and over again. I think sometimes we go through scripture with, I got to get through it. Versus just sitting in it and letting it stay for a little bit. So for a minute in that silence, I put a verse up on the screen, um, Hebrews 13:8, and I want you just to read over it for that one minute of silence and just read it over and over and over again uh, as we spend time in this minute. And. A minute. Can you just go to the next slide for a Can anybody tell me what that verse was, by the way? Can anybody say it? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I think that's one of the byproducts of spending time just repeating it in silence, is that it starts to stick better. Um, and so Bible memorization is the other part. Eventually, when you spend more and more time in this intimacy with God, that you can just speak to him with his own words back. Um, Bible memory is a byproduct of spending time with him. Um, so I want us to process what we think about that. Uh, is this something that we can do this week? Uh, what did you think about this exercise? What was hard about it? And what was enjoyable? So uh, you can journal, or you're welcome to move around and chat with someone. Here you go. Well, I hope that was beneficial to everyone. I hope that's something we can do this week. Uh, and that was only... Uh, you know, four minutes. That was four minutes of our time that we did with just that practice. Um, so I want to expand that a little bit as we're thinking about what we're going to do throughout the week, as we think of our practice of thinking about silence and solitude and simplicity. So the task this week is to spend 15 minutes in silence and solitude. This week, uh, I broke it down a little bit. Now, it doesn't have to be 15 minutes at one time, per se. Um, but five minutes of that can be spent reading over a verse or a couple of verses. And I would say limited. Don't try to go full chapter. The smaller the text, the deeper and more it will soak in, um, not just into our hearts, but also into our memory as well. And we'll have that to be able to use through other times as well. So uh, minimal text, uh, but read over it again slowly, emphasizing different words so it really saturates and sticks with you. Uh, And then five minutes of that can be used in prayer as well. Um, We find the more that we are... Uh, Thinking about simplicity, I've found, too, that prayers become less about God give me this thing and God help someone else. Um, And so the more we are embracing that, the more our prayer life will change as well. And then finally, just that silence, that there is value in uh, the waiting for God to do something, to put something on your mind that isn't a distraction. Um, Somebody's name might come into your head. I haven't thought of that person in five years. Why am I thinking of that person right now? Um, and maybe that's something that God wants you to reach out to. Uh, so, embracing some of that silence as well. And then the part with simplicity, I think it's worth, uh, especially in this time, to evaluate things that are cluttering your life physically and mentally. Things that maybe we just need to get rid of this, we could give this to someone else, uh, or things that you're putting your mind to. Um, I've realized, too, there are some shows that I'm watching. Why am I watching this? I'm spending so much time on this. I could be doing something better. Uh, Evaluating three things that you think are cluttering your life, uh, either physically or mentally, and deciding what to do with those things, either to give them away uh, or to give them up. So that's our practice for this week uh, is to be processing those things. Okay? All right. Uh, We are going to sing one more song together, and then we'll be done for days. So if you guys can stand up. Here we go.